are back again for the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. It's Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and the Lakers Fast Break, welcoming you to another great episode. And who is with me today? Well, it's none other than the man behind Lakerholics.net for a great insight on some fan opinions on all over the spectrum when it comes to the Los Angeles Lakers. You got to check out Lakerholics.net today. It is a good man indeed. It is Laker Tom. And I'm, you know what, Tom? I'm just glad you came back and returned to the show. Well, it's a pleasure doing the last broadcast with you, Gerald. And uh, I'm looking forward to the day. So there's always something going on with the Lakers. That's for sure. That is for sure. I also want to give a big thank you to the Lakerholics.net community who, upon posting the show onto Lakerholics.net, got a big boost in downloads and listens. I want to thank them so much. And to the commenters on Lakerholics.net about asking for other platforms, I am working on other platforms, but I will tell you, as per the request of one in particular, I did manage to get us on Stitcher, so you can find the Lakers Fast Break podcast not only on Anchor, not only on Spotify, but Stitcher for right now as well. And as we get more outlets, I will be updating you on that constantly on all the great Lakers sites out there. But my friend... The Lakers are still in the Far East at this point in time. They actually did manage to pull the game off in Shanghai, despite all the controversy, despite all the advertisements going down, despite all the threats, all the tension, all the things that were created by the controversy that was started by Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey with just one tweet. That's Twitter for you. All these controversies always start with Twitter these days here in this decade. When we look back on history... For this decade, it's going to say most of these controversies emanated from one tweet on Twitter. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I mean, it's so funny how this thing works out as far as one tweet caused all this international uproar, all this financial and potentially costly situation in regards to the NBA and China and all that. But the Lakers did manage to go ahead and play a game against the Brooklyn Nets. They didn't quite exactly win. Now, mind you, it's just an exhibition game. They didn't have the players in there at the end that you would normally think would be there. But still, there are some things we'll talk about that later on here coming up. But I first want to get your thoughts on the situation now with China. As we speak, this weekend, the Lakers will still be playing another game in the Far East against Brooklyn again. Your thoughts on the whole NBA-China situation and how it affects the Lakers? Because they're not talking to press. Everybody's been shut down right now, so all you can really get is like just a game, and then that's it. No ambiance, no extra, no any outside things right now because of all the tension that's been created by the NBA-China controversy at this point in time. It's really an incredible situation. As I was telling you earlier before we got on the air, I generally don't allow the blog to get going too much on politics or religion. You know, we try to keep sports separated, especially from politics. This is a situation where I basically felt a little differently and I allowed the blog pretty much to discuss at different ends. And, and uh, fortunately, everybody was pretty copacetic about it and there, we didn't have any fist fights or anything and no threats were thrown. But it's amazing how it all starts, like you said, with not even a tweet, just a retweet from Daryl Morey of uh, support for the Hong Kong protesters. Just a little background, my father's Chinese, came from China when he's 11 years old. My mother... Uh, was a waitress in the Chinese restaurant that he had. So I grew up as a bicultural kid. And and then I spent about 20 years of my career, business career, 
manufacturing in Hong Kong and China. So I have a lot of friends both in China and in Hong Kong, as well as family in China. So I can understand as, uh, as the owner of the Nets put out a great article talking about the cultural differences and, and how you have to take those things in context when you're speaking on international situations like we have here. And for the NBA, I mean, 20% of the revenue comes from China. So when you start to factor that in and look at how it's going to affect the salary cap going forward and so forth, it's, it's definitely an issue that has multiple layers. I think like any company trying to do business and trying to get access to the China market, the NBA has to be careful. Personally, I'm pleased with the end result of what David Silver has done. I, you mean Adam Silver? Adam Silver, yeah, I'm sorry. He's, he's really taken a, a stance where he's going to support the freedom of expression that the NBA players have always prided themselves in. Unlike the NFL, for example, that really seems to not want to have their players be individuals or their owners. Silver's come out very strong in that defense. And, and with the realization also that this could have some very extreme circumstances as far as the future of the league goes in entering that China market. So I just hope that everything goes along well and that maybe once the Lakers and the Nets get back home, that things will cool off a little bit and we won't have to have a 20% adjustment on the salary cap next year. That's going to make a strange free agency market in 2021 if we don't have China as part of the participation. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think all, you see all of the players now starting to be pretty careful about what they say, not wanting to you know affect their paychecks down the road and and it's a little bit of reality coming to boost on the whole idea that uh, we're a global market. There's been so many politicians, so many individuals out there, keyboard warriors or basically commenters, even from the president on down, they've all been saying things about the NBA and their stance in regards to what was said. And I don't envy Adam Silver one bit in regards to the job he's had to do over the past week. This reminds me of one of the first few weeks that he was in office and the Sterling fiasco that right. went, went awry and all that. And he handled that brilliantly. This time, the first statement that the league put out over the course of the weekend was too vague. And that really just inflamed things even more on one side or the other. And then you have the statement that he made when he was in Tokyo just before he left to China. I think that was more profound. I think that was more in line of what they have to say because they do have to support one side, but they also have to try and support another because we're dealing with over a billion dollars plus also shoe contracts, clothing contracts, business dealings, partnerships. I mean, it's easy for all these politicians and, and other individuals that are not related to the NBA to say all these things and say, oh yeah, we should just abandon China and people put bills into Congress as far as NBA no longer do business in China and all that. But okay, you walk away from that type of money, that type of revenue, it affects everything everywhere. Just because you cut all that off, like you said, salary cap issues also as well, just as an organization, and you're dependent for that for so long, and then all of a sudden you cut that off. Guess what? That's going to lead to layoffs all over the place, all over the world for that type of business. So people don't understand the ramifications of just cutting off basically what, uh, you know, a good 10, 20, 30% of your business right there, it's gone. And if you go ahead and say or do the wrong thing. So that's why the, the league has to walk on eggshells. Same thing with Hollywood, as far as because I do the pop culture shows and all that, we talk so much about movies. China has now become a very close number two market in the entire world. 
So if an actor or actress says the wrong thing or supports the wrong thing that China is not groovy with, they could literally just shut off all Hollywood movies and there goes a substantial portion of the income and that eventually could lead to jobs here in the States or around the world that are affected all by this. So it, it is a slippery slope you have to walk every time you talk about China or anything relating to those hot button issues that China is very sensitive about. Yeah, it's true. I think Silver's done a good job on it and it'll be interesting to see what happens as we move forward. I think we're gonna see all of the players and the executives in the league sort of, sort of tread carefully on the whole subject and not wanna get involved in it. One of the things that was kind of disappointing was that and I got a lot of friends in China who made the same comments. In China, they released a statement that was in Chinese, but it wasn't the exact same statement. So they basically were almost saying that this was something that was done wrong by Maury's comments. And so then when he, they came out with a second set of comments, that was really sort of like a flip-flop situation. So talking about having to be careful and walking on eggs for this whole situation, hopefully we'll get through and we'll get a win tomorrow morning at 4.30 in the a.m., and the team can get back, and then things will get back to normal. Absolutely, my friend. I hope so as well. And I, as I said on my pop culture show, I hope for a peaceful resolution to the issues going on in Hong Kong. I hope for no more tragedy, no more loss of life or anything of that nature. I'm hoping cooler heads will prevail in all this in regards to the NBA, China, Hong Kong, and all this stuff. And I'm hoping for a good resolution to this that will keep NBA and the product and the Lakers, and eventually, yes, the return of the Houston Rockets back as far as an entity that China, all of China, that large market can watch because, yes, it's dollars and all that, but it's also people that, like us, that just want to see the NBA, that just yeah. want to see these teams, and to prevent that from happening is something that would be very tragic for all parties concerned, both on the Chinese and also on the NBA side as well. We're signaling the ref for a quick timeout, but we'll be back with more of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. The better that these Marvel films do, the higher the standards are going to be for not just other films in general, but other Marvel films also. I think it's really hard to end a show with this many fans in a satisfying way. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Playing worldwide on radio seven days a week and wherever you get your podcasts. But there was a game, my friend. Yep. There was a game in Shanghai. Amongst all this controversy, there was a game in Shanghai that the Lakers played against the Nets. And like I said, they didn't come out the victor. I think they lost 114 to 111 was the final score. But there are some good signs, but there's also some concerning signs. But I want to hear your thoughts first on the game, your thoughts on breakfast with the Lakers. Well, I didn't get up at 4.30 to watch the game, but primarily the, the reason was that PG&E had cut our power off in Northern California where I live. But I've gone back and, and watched a lot of the replays and things in the game, and uh, there were some very good signs. I think that Anthony Davis... You can talk about LeBron James and how important he has been in a transition, but long-term, Anthony Davis is the future of the Lakers. Had five assists in the first half. Hasn't shot really well from deep, but is basically unstoppable, is playing great defense. He's the one center we have who can actually go out there and defend somebody out to the three-point line. So I thought that that was a really good sign. 
Dwight Howard did not look as good as JaVale McGee did. McGee really looks very quick. He's much better, stronger on offense, and defensively, he's able to go out and chase a guard and have that guard still, when they attack the basket, he's blocked a couple of those shots, and he looks very strong, and I expect him to be the starter once we get into the regular season. The other player who really surprised me and looks like he's playing exactly like he finished the year, Alex Caruso. He's shooting the three ball just as well as he did at the end of the year. He's playing outstanding defense, and he's one of the few guys who seem to be able to stop the Nets from shooting three-point shots. They made 20 out of 41 shots, almost 49%. And Frank Bogle basically has already admitted that his offense is is a defensive stance is pretty much the same as it was when he was with the Pacers and that he's going to keep his big men down close to the basket. He wants to protect the rim. So a lot of times we're going to see it's going to be up to the perimeter players to play a lot tighter on their men to stay. If they're going to trail them around screens and so forth, they've got to be right on their rear. They can't be allowing guys to get the open shots that the Nets had during the game when they beat the Lakers. So it'll be interesting to see what happens tomorrow morning at 430 and whether or not some of these things can be corrected. Part of the problem probably was the change in the lineups. Frank has said that he wants to try out different combinations of players. The first game we had, uh, besides AD and LeBron, we had JaVel McGee at center, and the guards were Danny Green and Avery Bradley. This time in, in Shanghai, uh, he went with uh, Rajon Rondo and KCP as the guards and gave Dwight Howard a shot at center. So you basically had three defenders who weren't as good at covering players who were taking shots out of the three-point line, and the Lakers played the price because the Nets were smoking when they were doing that. Even with uh, Kyrie getting injured in the first minute of the game and so forth, they were still able to hold on and win it. I think, like you said, though, at the end of the game, um, it was tied 111, and uh, Norville had a steal and had a chance to go down and make a basket for that, and uh, he missed the basket and didn't get the rebound and they came back and got another shot and, and that was the game pretty much so uh you can just can't count on these preseason games because the coaches are trying out a lot of guys making sure that everybody gets it out there they're trying to see what combinations work best the things i think we can take out of it really positively are that ad and and lebron seem to have a tremendous chemistry already together both the uh, used to be you started the season thinking that it was going to be LeBron feeding AD all the time, but now it's turned out that it's both both players feeding each other, and that's going to really help. I think McGee is looking very strong. Howard still is playing well, and maybe he's going to improve and get a little quicker as we move through the season. The guard situation will be interesting. It's uh, I think it's a wide-open field now for who's going to be the starting guard next to Danny Green, and the Lakers have good depth. Rajon Rondo, even though he's not playing great defense, is shooting the three ball really well and shooting it confidently. Uh, even Bogle has said so, and I think he's hit four out of eight in his first two games. It'll be interesting to see who they start in game three and what happens when they have to play the Nets again with a little more experience against that same team. Well, all I can say is if Rondo does not keep up the shooting, those glaring weaknesses in this game are going to just be out there even more because Perimeter defense was just awful. I'm yeah. going to be tell you right now, that was the key to the game right there. When you give up so many threes, I don't mind if you bring them off the three-point line and they make all those shots at, let's say, 20-footers. If they make right. 15 to 20-footers, that's what you want to do in today's NBA. Nothing at the rim, nothing at three-pointers. 
Just you want in the middle. If they do the DeMar DeRozan 20-footers all day long, you know what? More power to you because statistically, it's not going to work out. Analytically, it's not going to work out more times than not. But yes, the perimeter defense was just awful. I was just very disappointed in it. Just saw them the way KCP and also Rondo and to a certain extent, all the guards just were not being able to go ahead and stay with the perimeter players or not even the forwards as well. I mean, anybody guarding at a small forward position. I mean, the Nets really had like three or four different players that were just continually hitting shots from the outside. That was a detriment as far as the overall aspect because the Lakers pretty much owned every other aspect of the game except for the three-pointers where they got killed. And that's going to be something in today's NBA you have to be wary of and have to try to prevent even more. So, yes, I know a lot of people, are, and like yourself, Tom, have complimented Rondo. I know you've heard my back episodes and my affection right. for where Rondo should be as far as that's concerned. A Caruso, three or four, you can't argue with the three-point shot. Right. I wish for him to understand more the, the complexities of distributing. Also, as well, when to take a shot inside the three-point lane or not, because once he got inside the lane, he found issues with it. I found him to be uncomfortable. He wasn't going to the lane. He was just trying to take mid-range shots, and Water. they were not following for him. That was the issue with, with that part of his game. But if he's able to round it off, I still think over the course of the season that he is a better option than Rondo as a backup point guard. I think also as well, Troy Daniels, I think he actually sat the entire game. He didn't get a chance to go ahead and play, which is kind of disappointing after a good game in Golden State. So I wanted to see what more what he could do. But yes, KCP, KCP, you're always on a roller coaster ride with him. It's either way up or way down, and there's nothing in the middle. But again, it all comes down to the perimeter defense and how they're going to go ahead and correct that to get these shots that are going up at the three-point line into the arc and try and go ahead and make hard and tough, low percentage, 15 to 20 footers. That's the goal. That's the key of every defense. And if they're able to go ahead and do that better, I see good things continuously. But Anthony Davis and LeBron cannot do it all. They need to go ahead and have that support of a good defense. And right now, two games in, it's mixed. And that's still work in progress. And that's why you have these exhibition games and this training camp to go ahead and fix things like that. I'm hopeful that tomorrow's game will go ahead and be that for the Lakers. I still see, like you said, with LeBron and AD, they really are just being a formidable duel that I really enjoy with actually Anthony Davis now taking the one and LeBron taking the 1A. So I'm very pleased to see how that's working out so far. They seem to be playing very well off of each other. I'm very encouraged by that. And again, there are some promising signs. Three-point shooting has been something I'm very surprised because it is better than I expected at this point in time. I'm hoping that continues, including Rondo, because he's going to get a lot of wide-open shots anytime he's on the floor. But overall, there were some encouraging signs, but the perimeter defense has to be fixed. I think that's going to be the top priority as we go into tomorrow's game. One of the things that Vogel announced earlier in the year was that he didn't want to switch as much, and he wanted to make sure that people stayed on the guards. One of the whole benefits of having a couple of rim protectors down below in Anthony Davis and whichever guy's playing center is that your perimeter defenders can stay closer to the men. And they weren't doing that in the first game against the Nets. Instead, what we saw them doing was the same thing that used to frustrate me all last year, which is everybody is sagging in. 
And then that makes it almost impossible for you to stay close to your man, especially if there's a screen coming up. Because the guy's just going to stand behind the screen and take his shot. Or if you trail him, you're going to be too far behind him in order to affect the shot. So I think that, again, it's, I think Vogel has the right philosophy. He's not going to send his centers out there chasing out to the three-point line. He's seen enough of that frustration. You could see that same strategy in the finals when you try to have a, a center guard, a small guard outside, and it just doesn't work out. It puts you behind the eight ball, and, and you are basically just have a, a bunch of moves that consequently happen as people try to attack the rim, and then you're constantly switching. So I think the key is that you're going to have to guys, guys, take responsibility for the player that you're guarding. Make sure that you're not just sagging in and trying to help too much because we have guys down below who can block shots and can guard and defend well. So that means that just your job is to make sure these perimeter guys don't get open for those wide open threes. And just understand clearly that three points is better than two. And if we give up twos and make threes at the other end, then that's the way the analytics game goes. And so it's really important that as we make our adjustments, and that's what I'm hoping we'll see tomorrow morning. We'll see a lot tighter coverage. Perimeter defenders are much closer to the man that they're guarding and sticking with them and not trying to switch off, following them around screens if they're going to do that, forcing them to take those low percentage two-point shots. We'll be back with more of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Hey, listener, Dutch here from Voice from the Underground, the podcast. My co-host and I want to invite you to check out our little corner of the podcast verse. At Voice from the Underground, we talk about all the crazy (laughs) happening around us and try to make a little bit of sense out of the nonsense with little to no results. If the idea of hearing three semi-intelligent, outspoken nerds talk about politics, social issues, current events, sports, movies, pretty much anything that we decide to talk about because, well, it's our show, appeals to you, grab your shovel and come on down to the underground and then consult a qualified psychotherapist. Find us wherever you get your podcasts, just not where you buy your weed. Voice from the underground. Once again, I'm talking to Laker Tom. You know, you got to check out his awesome site, Lakerholics.net. Hopefully it will be a great game tomorrow when the Lakers play the Nets as we're recording this. I do want to talk about Anthony Davis because you spoke of Anthony Davis earlier and the great things that he's doing. Mind you, his outside shot, I think, will come into somewhat of a good form. I don't think it's continuously going to be as bad as we've seen it in the past two games because he's done everything else so well, so we know he's going to work on it. But you talked about Anthony Davis about him playing so well. I've spoken at length about how well he's done so far and how well he's meshed with LeBron. There's been a recent article, in fact, two, when it comes to Dave McMenamin on ESPN and also Jonathan Sharks from The Ringer, both with outstanding articles on Anthony Davis. And I want to ask you, when it comes to their thoughts, they obviously had great things to say about him and his future. We know how great he's been with the New Orleans Pelicans. I think the sky's the limit with Anthony Davis. I think he's a viable MVP candidate. And I'm not just talking about a 10 to one shot. I think he could be one of the two or three favorites if he continues to play like he has played so far in the past couple games. What are your thoughts about Anthony Davis becoming that next big superstar, like you were saying, a la Giannis Antetokounmpo or any of those big stars that we're seeing right now being that next wave of NBA superstars? I agree 100% with you, Gerald. I think that Davis has the potential to be Giannis with a shot, basically. And one of those articles really touched on the whole issue that 
had the Bucks had Anthony Davis rather than Giannis, they probably would have won the championship. And oh, yeah. I think there's a good point to that because one of the problems that Giannis has without his shot is that he's very ineffective when teams go zone against him. As he faces a zone, he has a difficulty because you got to shoot yourself out of a zone. You can't just dribble your way in against multiple players in there. AD basically is really taking his game to another level. And he started to do it last year, even though it was a disappointing year with the Pelicans because of the whole trade situation going down in the second half of the season and and them pulling him out of a lot of games. He made some big increases, which uh, the Ringer article really highlighted on. One of them was assists. He jumped up from having average 1.9 assists during his previous six years to 3.9 assists last year. And then you, we could see that development, the same thing, just in the game against the Nets, where he had five assists in the first half, which was a terrific first half, and several of them to LeBron. Additionally, turnovers. He averaged his, his assist-to-turnover ratio had been pretty much around one for the first half of his career, primarily because very few assists and not in many turnovers. But now, uh, last season, he brought that up to a two-to-one ratio. And then defensively, on the defensive end, you always hear these shot blockers, and you take a look at the shot blockers and the effect that they have on an averaging two or three shots of block the game. The thing that makes Davis unique is the ability to make steals as well as blocks. And he just pretty much lapped the entire field this year, last year, averaging 2.6 blocks and 1.4 assists per game, giving him a total of four turnovers, if you will, that are caused by his defensive presence underneath the basket. Those were really important because the closest guy to him was like three and a half. So this is a combination that really makes him probably one of the most effective overall defensive players in the front court in the league. So I think that these are things that are all elevating with him. He's he is shooting as a three-point shot was 33% last year. That was the best of any year in his career. But even more importantly, he averaged 38% on wide open shots from out in, uh, beyond the arc. So hopefully these are just steps that we're going to see. And I think that I agree with you. He has a great opportunity to become the possibly the defensive player of the year and the MVP. I couldn't agree with you more on that. He's going to be very versatile on both ends of the floor. The Lakers are going to rely on him for a lot of great things at both ends of the floor. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to provide for the Lakers and for the NBA. I mean, but like you said, both him and Giannis are so just so excellent at on the both the offensive and defensive ends. If Giannis can ever get that jump shot, I'm telling you, the sky is the limit with him. I mean, he's already at an MVP level. If he ever finds a three-point shot and a consistent one, he's going to be truly just unstoppable in every way, shape, or form. Same thing with Anthony Davis. If he ever gets back to a level where he's 35, 38, or even 40% from the three-point area, oh my gosh, wouldn't that be a godsend for anybody that's a Lakers fan? I'm telling you right now, if that happens, wow, look out, because the next four years – if he stays a Laker, could be truly something. My friend, I want to ask you this as we close out the show. I know you wanted to talk about the best options for the point card, <laughs> which, as you've heard on my show already, is always a point of contention, whether it's you, whether it's Darren Levy, whether it's TJ Johnson, whether it's Boomer Peralt, everybody who I've spoken to at length on the show, that's always been a point of contention with me because I think it is a key that you have some sort of stability when LeBron is either out of the game or even to play off of LeBron because it makes things a lot easier. I want to hear your thoughts on the situation with point guard. 
Who should they start and who importantly should back up as well? Well, I'm probably going to have some difference of opinion with you, Gerald. I definitely don't want to start Rondo. I, I think that that would be a huge mistake for the Lakers to make. He just does not have the defensive presence that he used to have as a younger player. He's lost a step. He tends to sag in all of the time. So he's always rushing out to try to block shots from guys behind the line. And he's just not aggressive enough. Also, on the offensive end, I think that his three-point shot may look good now. And he did he did shoot 36% last year, which is not great, but not bad. Oh, that's but about league that, average, just to let yeah, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, league average is like 35.3% or something like that. So it's slightly but, better. Wide open threes. Yeah, yeah, no, they're giving him wide. I mean, they're backing up. Everybody is like on the other team is backing up. Actually, they were actually walking to the bench just to make sure that he can go ahead and shoot those shots seemingly because he's wide open on them. But I did want to elaborate again, as I've spoken with TJ about my point of contention is this with Rondo. Again, he is 81st last year out of over 100 point guards. So he's on the lower echelon defensive rating. So his efficiency is just not there. I hear the talk about how he didn't want to switch or how he just doesn't want to go ahead and play his man very hard or anything like that. I've heard a lot of stuff leading into that. But also from an offensive end, once you get past the three-pointers, he doesn't give you much else because he's so bad at the line and he's so bad as far as doing anything else, his true shooting percentage is one of the worst for any rotation players at 47%. It's not like saying, okay, I'm going to miss some three-pointers, or I'm not going to be very good at three-pointers, but I'm going to get you a lot of inside dunks. I'm going to be very efficient from all points of the floor. I'm a good free-throw shooter. You don't get that with Rondo. I mean, what you get with Rondo is leadership. What you get for him is, is in floor intelligence. What you get for him is experience. He's in the video room all the time. What I hear, he's always examining other players, other teams. That part, I commend him. And I think he has a future as a coach. I just wish that future was more now than later. <laughs> but go ahead, as you were saying. as far Well, as I, I think Rondo's role is pretty obvious on this team. And I, I do think that he's probably our best option as the backup point guard. Because if you don't have LeBron in the game, then you definitely need to have somebody who can handle the ball and deliver some assists. And I don't think we have anybody else on the team, basically, who's a playmaker. That's the biggest problem. I so, know yeah. Caruso is trying, but I don't think he's Caruso, quite there. Caruso's not really. Caruso's sort of a combo guard that he can make an assist here and there, but he always seems to miss those, those easy bounce passes coming off of the pick and rolls, and that drives me nuts. He needs to work on the lob. Yeah. I, I think it's sort of an open competition for the starter. I think Rondo... And I think Bogle also has also said this, that he's basically going to stagger LeBron and Rondo to make sure he's got a playmaker on the floor. We don't have anybody else that's equal to either one of those two. And you just have to hope that Rondo's engaged enough that he'll earn more offensively for us than he gives up defensively. As for the starting point guard, I think it's going to end up being between Caruso and Bradley, but I expect Bradley to be the one who's still going to survive. But I do think Caruso's going to get minutes. The one thing I've noticed, in, and I didn't see the second Nets game, but in the first game, the minute Caruso got in there, the offense was organized. You know, the, the team ran plays that they were supposed to run. They met the right options. He made most of the right passes. I think it is a problem once he gets inside of the lane. That's something that is a weakness of his, both of them being able to deliver an assist or, as you said, a lob. But he definitely is shooting the three ball very well and can take care of the ball, uh, and his defense is outstanding. 
he's probably the best defender of, of the point guards that we have, especially for a larger guy. Bradley's a couple of inches shorter, struggled mightily defending larger three-point shooters. There were a lot of all of the, a lot of the three-point shots that came from the Nets game, as I was watching the replays, were shots done by small forwards, wing players. We don't really have that wing player, which is why we need to get Iguodala added in there. If we could get Iggy to fill up and be that backup for LeBron at the wing and then keep Kuzma at the four, we'd be a much stronger team. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the, in the next game on tomorrow morning. I'm hoping that we'll, we'll see Bradley get another start. Maybe Vogel's going to go in there and dry cook or somebody else totally different. It'll be interesting to see if he starts now narrowing down. We've still got, I think, I think there's a total of six preseason games altogether. So this is our third. We'll have three games left after that. We may see less and less of LeBron and AD as we go forward. So it'll be interesting to see. Well, I'll tell you what, my friend, it looks like it's going to be a heated competition all the way to the last exhibition game to where Vogel's going to decide where to go with as far as the point guard is concerned. Shooting guard, I'm going to tell you, my friend, I'm not a KCP fan. I really think that Troy Daniels should get an opportunity. Yes, Troy Daniels has been in the league seven years. He's played for six different teams for one reason. He can't play defense very well. No, I understand Yes, but he can shoot the rock. And having those options available with him and Danny Green at the both at the same time would be awesome. But then again, like I said, it, it's all up to Frank Vogel and how he distributes it out. We're going to talk about that in another episode. We'll talk about how KCP, how Troy Daniels, how Danny Green, how they fit in this equation as far as the Lakers are concerned. We'll go ahead and talk about that on the next time you and I get a chance to chat. But I'll tell you what, it's just such a great pleasure, as always, to talk to you, my friend. I want to ask you this as we leave on. If you know, for somebody who hasn't seen Lakerholics.net, what are you hoping to provide them when they come by and check out as a Lakers fan? Lakerholics.net. I originally created the site to try to have a site that was a little bit different from the bar stool type sites that generally tend to have fans yelling at each other and, and throwing around quick ideas and so forth. So what we're trying to do is to have a conversation about the Lakers and to have some analysis in there from fans and different points of view. So I tend to think that it, it's for somebody who wants to have a serious discourse about who should be the point guard and what are the reasons for. Almost similar to the discussions that we've had on, on these podcasts, Gerald. So if you're a Laker fan who enjoys talking to other Laker fans, wants to look at the positive parts about it, isn't afraid to criticize certain people, but want to keep an open mind and learn more from other fans and get appreciation for the different points of views as to who should play, who should start, who's important, and and who should be traded down the road as we go through the season. Lakerholics.net is a perfect place for you to come and have a nice communication with us. Absolutely. It is a great place to go. I'm so thankful and honored to be part of it as far as trying to create the Lakers Fast Break podcast into it. I will go ahead and try and see if I can interact with the community as well from time to time. Although I'll tell you what, there's some great people that are with you guys right now like Magic Man, he does a great job at helping you out on the site. Just so many great people that are part of Lakerholics.net. If you have not had a chance to check it out, I encourage you so much to do so because there's a lot of great people there that have a definitive love for the Lakers. You got to check it out today. That is Lakerholics.net. I think you'll be glad you did. Thanks a lot, Gary. Appreciate the pick. Oh, no worries. No worries. Just anytime at all, my friend. I'm just glad to have you on the show as always. Sound like a good thing next week to be talking about more Lakers? Sure does. 
All right, absolutely. Oh, yes, yes. There you go. Count him in. Hopefully, your power will stay on this time. Yeah, I know. That'll be fun. I won't tell you what I think of PG&E. Oh, okay. That's for another podcast. We'll go ahead and create a podcast in and of itself for PG&E, although I'm sure tens of thousands of fellow Californians would also probably say the same thing as well. So I'll tell you what, I'm glad you had the power back up. Hope you will check out the game and everybody out there enjoy the Lakers game this weekend against the Brooklyn Nets. Just so happy to have you part of the show, Laker Tom, as always, right here on the Lakers Fast Break Podcast.